What's up, iCoomer fans? Today, I'm speaking with Gasparri Licata, the CEO of Crank Brothers. As a brand, there are a few that have created such iconic products as Crank Brothers and have weathered the ups and downs of both market and reputation as well. But now, in 2022, they are celebrating 25 years in business. So Gas and I sat down to talk about how the company got here, how they turned things around in the mid-2010s, and how some of their more recent products came to be. And, of course, where they're headed in the future. He does give us a few sneak peeks of products coming up. If you're a fan of the brand, as I am, or just geek out on how the bike industry and product design works, you're going to love this very candid interview. Please welcome Gasparri Licata. Hey guys, welcome to the Bike Room Show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. Well, congratulations on 25 years with Crank Brothers. That's uh, quite the milestone. Yeah, no, we are pretty excited that we made it so so long. I always think of Crank Brothers from the beginning. Like I remember when you launched, and and more so, I remember when the Egg Beaters came out. To me, that was that that standout product that really set you guys apart because it was so different than anything else on the market at the time. And I, you know, like I had been running whatever pedals, switching back and forth. And you know, when I found those, like I stuck with that for a long time because it was light, and I'm a total weight weenie. But also, just it worked right. Like it was such a you know, being able to just step down into it instead of having to like finagle your foot and be able to step down no matter what, because it was four-sided. Like to me, that's what put Crank, Crank Brothers on the map. But, you know, that it's that's not the first product. So maybe we could like, this was way before your time there, but let's go back to the beginning for a minute. Just kind of fill people in. Like what was Crank Brothers' first product? It was a speeder lever. Actually, it was a very smart speeder lever. And uh, we are taking inspiration today to make a better speeder lever in the next uh, few months. To and that's a tire lever, the, right? Yeah, like a, a, a tire speedy lever. tire lever. Correct. So it was a very progressive product, but obviously the market was not that big for a $5 product. Uh, and not even the value of the product was not justifying the development of a big company. But the approach of that lever was the same of the egg beater. Trying to find spaces uh, in the mountain bike world where you can improve the riding experience with a simple product, easy to understand, that can really meaningfully make uh, uh, your riding better. Or in that case was off the bike, made the experience around the bike better. Yeah. And that was way back in 1997. Um, <laughs> yeah. What year did the egg beater come out? 2001. Actually, there is debate between 2001, 2002. It was ready 2001, but probably the revenue started in 2002. Right on. Cool. And it's, you know, the design has certainly evolved over the years with that. You know, the, the body of it's gotten more refined. I mean, I, I'm guessing the internals have gotten refined. You've already offered more varieties of it. Now, you know, when I, and I'm talking about like the bearings and the spindles, like those options, but then also you have the candy and, you know, the mallet and a bunch of others, you know, like what's the, I guess, what was the progression for that internally? Like, how did you say, okay, we have this thing that people like, like, how do we make it better or like, let's make it for more riders? From one side is uh, listening to riders uh, and seeing how the riders uh, evolve in the riding style and how the bike evolves. I was not in mountain biking 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but I, I've been to the mountain bike museum and I see bike from 20 years ago. And uh, you didn't have all this option of travel, all this option of geometries, shoes. A lot of people was riding on sneakers 25 years ago. so. Which you definitely cannot do on egg beaters. 
<laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> Super dangerous. <laughs> so a, a lot of things uh, changed, uh, and uh, we tried to understand the different consumers uh, and to develop the best product for them. So they beat in the past, we had people maybe riding uh, telonics here in Laguna, like downhill trails on the bitter. Now you have only cross country weight winnies uh, riding the bitter. And if you're riding uh, downhill trails, you want a platform and um, you're going to have a shoe with a wider outsole. So, okay, we follow the bike, we follow the rider, we follow the shoes. And maybe I go too much ahead, but that's why we launched the shoes to try to uh, keep evolving and improving the rider experience by improving the interface between the pedal and the shoe. So our pedal evolution was really based on the different use uh, of the of the riders right and I, I i promise we're going to talk about something other than pedals but i do have a lot of pedal questions for you um and as an egg beater fan myself one of the things i've kind of always wondered and and wanted is the maybe not the ability to adjust the, the cleat release tension like you can on say an sbd pedal or something but just a little bit tighter retention and is that something you guys have looked at either with just like a cleat redesign or like a you know like a i'm using air quotes here like a pro version that holds the foot in a little bit tighter the answer is obsessively yes <laughs> i was in the back in the in our mechanic shop and we have a lot of different prototypes there are some patents that you can even look online that we filed for different solutions to try to achieve that but the reality is the challenge we are facing, this, the Eggbeater is so simple as a mechanism that uh, you need to overbuild the pedal with the risk to lose some of the current benefit to achieve uh, what you, you are mentioning. Reality is maybe there is a way to make it uh, user-friendly, um, but we didn't find it yet. All right. Even like I would think just like a, a, a slightly bigger cleat would just make it a little bit hard because you'd have to push those springs a little farther to open we tried some please i don't remember what was the reason why the cleat had some limitation but i on the pedal one was the the spring when we had different uh, um we had a mechanism to adjust the spring the spring uh, um durability was becoming much shorter so one of the main, of the issues of one of the solutions we find to adjust the spring tension was the durability of the spring itself. Because by putting much more tension, uh, it was lasting less time. And we felt like we don't want to compromise on, uh, on durability. Then we found another solution, but it was very difficult for the user to adjust, um, to adjust the tension. So we said, okay, we do it only if you really make it user-friendly. Um, so th these were true of the solution we tried, but uh, honestly, yeah, we, we are obsessively trying, and but we don't want to compromise on quality and durability, and we don't want uh, to compromise on the current uh, feeling of the Creme Brothers user. So if he's adding uh, the tension without... Uh, compromising the benefit that the pedal offer today we are gonna do it cool all right so switching to flat pedals one of the products that's come out under your leadership and you joined the company in 2015 as ceo <clears throat> and so you've had 
few years there to see oversee some new product development. And one of them is the stamp pedals, and which is a flat pedal. And I'm thinking like, okay, you've been making pedals for so long. You understand the spindles, the bearings, the, the mechanisms of making it work. What was like a, a flat pedal just seems so easy. Like, was it hard to come out with a flat pedal or was it just like, hey, let's just make a flat pedal. Okay, done. Back then, to me, start even from a, uh, one of the evolution of the culture of the company. The company before was a company made only of very core riders that were riding 99% in Southern California. So, which is the core root of the company, but we are, I, I like to say we are a California brand, but we are an American, co- we are an international company. And uh, starting from that, I understood that it was not only about people riding California trails in the dust, in the, on the dry, and all very good riders. It was about even approaching a different demographic. If you remember in 2014, when we start talking about the stamp, there, there were not a lot of uh, good riders riding flat pedals. Now there are, especially even, even with e-bikes, you have very good riders li- riding flat pedals. But back then, most of the, these, of the core mountain bikers, they were on clips. And I was new and I said, I'm scared about clipping in, not on the way down, especially on the way up, because sometimes it was too steep and was not able to unclip quickly enough. So I said, we need to do flat pedals. And we had the 50-50, which was nice, but honestly, they didn't provide a great grip because it was not concave. And then I started digging on what were the characteristics of a, a great flat pedal. And in the meantime, I went mountain biking with my wife and my shoe size is 12 and my wife's size is six and a half. And I was looking at our 50-50 and say, how is possible that my foot will stomp on uh, the same counter surface than your foot. I mean, either the pedal is too big for you or it's too small for me because I want to have a counter surface to put all my foot. But if it's the right size for me, it's going to be too big for you. You're going to have a a lot of extra material that is going to endanger you to hit rocks more frequently. And that's when we came with with the idea of making the pedal in true size which the core riders in the company said that it was the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> the consumer is going to choose and say, yes, the consumer is going to choose. And it's going to choose exactly the point, right? It's going <laughs> to choose which size they prefer. We are going to make a guideline and we are not going to put a gun in their head and saying that if you are 39, you need to go with the smaller one. We are going to just tell you, we, we studied the different shoe size and these dimension that will work generally, generally that will work better for a small foot and this dimension will work better for a large foot. But then honestly, I even saw Danny McCaskill or Ansari that based on the kind of use of the bike they use, they prefer a larger platform or a smaller platform. Uh, and to me, that was, was another, another good reason to make two different sides, but that we learn it later. So why the stamp became successful? It became successful because of the story that uh, the dimensional story, uh, which was very simple to understand, and was for me it was great finally to have a, a pedal that was fitting my shoe size, and as for me, for many other people in the world, then uh, we were we were able to uh, have. Uh, I remember one of the first things I tried to do um, when I got into mountain biking. I said, oh, "This guy Danny McCaskill is great." And he was not even answering to my email. And uh, <laughs> then when I, uh, I got finally 
when we did the pink bike, uh, ask me anything. It was one of the tipping points of the company where people like Danny say, okay, I trust this new wave of people in the company. We had a meeting. He saw the pedal. He loved it. And then he helped us to build the reputation around the, around the pedal too. And we believed on the flat pedals. We, we built different price points. The e-bike boom honestly helped because even if uh, I, we don't claim that the stamp is an e-bike pedal, obviously it worked great for e-bike, was great, it was great for mountain bike, but e-bikers oftentimes use more um, the flat pedals than the clip pedals. So we, that helped. A couple of things you mentioned there that are total tangents to, to pedals, but I, I think are interesting. So the, the first is, you know, it's the company was started as from core mountain bikers. And I was just thinking about like your entire product line really is mountain bike. And, um, it seems, you know, it seems like every brand nowadays wants to branch into gravel or, you know, like before gravel was a thing road or something just to expand and diversify their catalog and all that. But you guys have stayed totally mountain bike oriented. Is that a, a conscious decision or is it just a limitation of like the resources available to you? So here in this company, now we are all mountain bikers. The difference is uh, that compared to back in the days, we are different level of mountain bikers. Our graphic designer, she's a beginner mountain biker, but we try to help her and support her to be outside. Um, our CFO is a, a little bit more than a beginner mountain bike, but he's a mountain biker too. So what I love is that we are a different uh, we have a different uh, ecosystem of people of different level and even different nationalities um, that are part of the decision pro process of what we do and are representing even different kind of uh, consumers. So if you have the competence to do something better, I would say uh, on the off-road side, yes, we are going to do it. To me, it's not so much about resources, not because I have unlimited resources, but it's about uh, knowledge and having the idea. So it seems like everyone there is just really just interested in mountain biking. So maybe no, not interested exactly. in working on road stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have a road bike there since eight years and I use it twice a year. So <laughs> do, I have my, do I have a lot of things to say in road? I, even if I was working for physique before, but now I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot to say. Uh, so, and... 95% of the people, they don't have a lot to say about road in the company. So it's better if you shut up and try to do <laughs> something that maybe we can do better than everyone else so we can understand before. Uh, because if you are around mountain bikers all the time, you speak with them, you go on the trails, you have uh, pros coming in town and listen to them, listen to their feedback. Uh, you go to events, talk with consumers that they tell what their challenges are you have a better chance to find to build something new something special than uh, okay um, a lot of people with the uh, in ties in the office say okay now we need to make money or oh, the, the next big deal is uh, e-road let's do an e-road pedal um not that's not what <laughs> we stand for no <laughs> love it yeah i mean it's there's something to be said for sticking to your core competencies absolutely um, you know, the other thing that you, you mentioned is, you know, you're California based, but really an international company. And 
Uh, Crank Brothers was acquired by the Cell Royale Group in 2018, and you clearly sound very international. Um, like, what's the? How did that change the brand? You know, first you coming on board, and where? Like, how did you end up in this position? And then, like, how did the acquisition change the brand and the company? The acquisition was 2008, and uh, until 2013, from a management standpoint, there were not major changes. From a financial and brand standpoint, uh, things that were not going well. Um, just to try to be positive. <laughs> so in 2013, there was a change of leadership on the CEO level. So there was another CEO that was uh, uh, that replaced the old one. And uh, in 2014, I moved here to California as a head of sales and marketing to try to help the company to change pace, both from brand and business, because they were uh, in danger. And uh, in 2015, I became uh, um, I became the CEO. In those two years uh, between the previous CEO and the and the, the 2013 to 2015 CEO, no, there were not a lot of changes. Uh, you know, when people is trying to figure out things, when I, jo- I joined, uh, I realized that uh, it was difficult uh, to get uh, the company uh, on a successful path because the reputation with the consumer was and even uh, with dealers and even uh, with the uh, distributors was compromised because of the quality of uh, the product i remember before moving here i was reading uh, uh, blogs and trying to understand where the company stand and two of the comments that stick to me the most were one hire more engineers and less designers and one, you do the you do the best packaging, but what about the product? And I didn't try to change everything because there were still some things that were, were some things that were great. I mean, the again, the packaging was great. The concept of certain products like the bitter was amazing, but what was inside was not great. Yeah, they they definitely developed some play pretty quickly for a while there, you know. And so. It was really about what the, the guy in the blog said, hire more engineer, which we tried to uh, change the engineering team and p- put really substance around the product. Some products were even over complicated because uh, there was not the knowledge of the entire market and the different kind of consumer. I remember one of the approaches that to me was very crucial to change is, uh, ah, the consumer is not able to install the product. The consumer is not able to use the product. No, it's not the consumer is not able, it's us that we are not able to make the product simple enough. So trying to shift the responsibility, if something is not work, working, 99% of the time is our fault. 99, sometimes. But 99% of the time is a challenge for us. Okay, but how do we make it simpler? Let's work on it. So to me, it was uh, this shifting approach that uh, was really important uh, to do. Even being honest with each other, one of the cultural challenges I had at the beginning, obviously, the feeling of the people at the office, you have the Italian guy coming from the headquarters, coming over, like, was not very welcoming. But ultimately, some people left, some people embraced because I was not, honestly, the guy from the headquarters. The substance, I was, I was a random guy that was trying to make the things right. And 
there was people that was not very proud of wearing our t-shirt and they want, no guys, I want you to be proud to wear that t-shirt. So we are going to do everything that is necessary to make great products, to make, to be humble, but at the same time to be brave. And, uh, those ones that stayed, they're still here. And, uh, they, awesome. they became some of our best employees. So was it a, a, a cultural thing? Cause you, you said, you know, like we had to be honest with ourselves. And I think a lot of companies can get stuck in that mindset. Like pe- nobody wants to take responsibility, right? They want to shove the blame. And in your case, you're, you know, maybe trying to initially put the blame on the consumer, like, oh, they just don't know how to do it. But that's a, that's a really hard thing to accept sometimes is that like, no, like it's our fault. And like, how did you have to like really work to get people to shift that mindset around and take full responsibility for everything really? Yes. I mean, it was hard, especially because for me at the beginning, it was even hard to understand how people was communicating, not because of the English, but because <laughs> I was in a meeting and okay, how is this product? And you, they would present a new product. What do you guys think? Asking to the sales, to the marketing, to customer service. Ah, that's okay. Okay. And for me, that's okay. It was okay. It's okay. So I've been in mountain bike since maybe 12 months, 18 months. If everybody says that it's okay, it probably is okay. And then later on, I understood that okay sucks. If, if like in Southern California, at least they say that's okay, that product, that product is mediocre. Maybe it's something you want, you can sell at Walmart. Or, or take it somewhere like the North Shore, right? Or, you know. Exactly. The Northeast or East Coast where it rains and clay mud, you know, it's not going to be okay. Correct. So uh, at the beginning it was harsh. That's why some, I think some people didn't like me. But I was trying, <laughs> I was trying really to, to, to have the truth come, on, come out and uh, the honesty come out and be straight. And uh, I think after a few years, we got to that point and uh, it's never pleasant for someone if uh, the outcome of his job is criticized, but it's better to have that discussion before the product is out or the marketing campaign is out and be honest and fix it before, maybe six months later, be late and then be out and be proud of what you accomplished and look back, ah, we were right to wait six months. We were right to change this pro- this detail. We are right to do that. And uh, ultimately, it pays off and people, the environment in the company gets even m- more proud of what they accomplished. The consumer reward you, not just financially, because I mean, probably 90% of the people, they don't know even the numbers. But ultimately, when you go to an event and a consumer tell you how happy is about the product, I mean, the other day I was on a trail and uh, I met a guy with a white TD car with our aluminum wheels. And I said, how are they doing for you? Ah, I smashed them at the bike park here and there. And it's 18 months. I really, I was not able even, I didn't even need to tension the, the spokes. And the guy, my colleague was with me. He was like, it's beautiful to hear that. And, and this is fulfilling. That's why we do it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about wheels for a second, because the synthesis wheels, uh, so I almost stumbled over that word, synthesis wheels, um, came about under your leadership there. And that was a really interesting collaboration with uh, a couple of outside parties. Jason um, helped design some of the carbon on that, who was the original, one of the original founders of Envy, helped with you guys. And so it was a it was a super interesting story of using, you know, different front and rear rims, not just width, but also like layup and, and thickness or uh, depth and all that. 
Um, but before we talk about those and that project, like you guys had wheels before that, that were also very interesting with a kind of a twin spoke design and, you know, like what was the, how did that come about? And those, those were sort of, I mean, I had a set, they were fine, but like I said, like, like you said, right? Like they were okay. Um, what was the, like, what happened to that project and how did you guys switch away from that paired spoke design? We still have uh, in our website, uh, some of the twin pair spoke wheels uh, available for sale, but obviously our focus, uh, uh shifted, shifted. It shifted because we believe that Crank Brothers uh, should make uh, the best uh, possible product we can do. And additionally, we try to make it beautiful. But it's not, we try to make a beautiful product and uh, let's try even to make, make the product good. It starts uh, from uh, making the product great and improving the, the riding experience. And then after we really we put the substance, we try to make it as beautiful as possible. But if you start the other way around, like the twin pair spoke are to me, like maybe the most, my favorite aesthetically wheels, but from a performance standpoint, from a riding quality standpoint, they're not at the level of our synthesis. Plus there is another limit, which is uh, you might end up, uh, you might have an issue while you're riding in Moab or wherever you are in your bike trip and you need to go to a shop and you need to replace a spoke or any part. And uh, if you have a custom system, this becomes a limit to the rider experience. Because again, the rider experience is on the bike, but is even off the bike. So all that combined, we said, let's make the best wheel we can. Let's have the best, the people with the highest competence to develop those. And let's start from a clean slate and let's not try to be anchored in the past, but look into the future. Yeah. So where did the idea for the the different rims, you know, front to rear and the whole synthesis wheel concept come from? I mean, with uh, Jason and Milo and myself, we had so many arguments and fight. It was like heated. <laughs> I, I, I think they were the heated discussion, but ultimately it was, they were even very exciting because uh, uh, there was, Ultimately, there was some people that knew what they were talking about. Uh, some people more from engineering standpoint, some people like me more from a business and communication uh, standpoint. So the, the concept of front and rear uh, uh, specific uh, and uh, compliance in the front and stiffness in the rear, honestly, it, it was uh, based on testing. So we, are, we started uh, testing uh, a lot of different, different brands of wheels. Uh, I remember back then, uh, uh, one of those ones that was becoming quite popular was Ibis, uh, because was, they were super wide, were the yeah, first one to go. really wide. <laughs> and much more compliant than Envy, for example. Then Mello, that we hired, basically, I don't know if I can say, but I say, I say the truth. Mello developed these wheels that are basically what Zip did later. Yeah, the single wall. Yeah, the single wall. So we are trying those. And uh, I think they were testing Reynolds. So they were trying different stiff uh, and compliant wheels. And then we start uh, mixing and matching, uh, putting a front uh, stiff and a rear uh, compliant, uh, front compliant, rear stiff to try to see what everybody liked. But what was nice at the beginning, some people like, I like the Envys. And some people, I like the Baumister because they are compliant or the Ibis. And then 
we start mixing and matching. Uh, and when uh, we start putting front compliant, uh, let's say about Mister in the front and I'm in the rear and a stiff in the rear, everybody says, I like this setup. And then by the testing, we learn, you know, there might be something there. So we start digging into that and we start to understand uh, basically something that is so simple. You should design the front wheel thinking about what the front wheel does. And you should have designed the rear wheel based on what really the rear wheel uh, does. Then we start even checking with Pro Downhill team, which wheels do they break the most often. And 90% of the time, they break the rear wheel, not the front wheel. Because it's not always precise what I'm saying, but in general, more around 65% of the force goes on the rear wheel and 35 on the front. It depends on the jump, it depends on the, on the condition, depends on the rider, but in general, most of the force are applying more than 51 or plus percent of the force that go on the rear wheel than the front wheel. So even right. it was not uh, only about riding quality, but it was even about uh, which rim should be, uh, which rim you could do lighter and maybe a little bit less reinforced, which, which rim you should do more reinforced and, uh, and so on. So that's how he was born. From a naming standpoint, I I studied uh, at the uh, um, high school in Italy, which is uh, where they teach you Greek philosophy and history. Uh, it's probably a good high school for 500 years ago. But amongst the <laughs> benefit, uh, um, it it was that you uh, you study uh, a lot philosophy. So it came to my mind uh, the uh, philosophical system of uh, Hegel about the thesis and the antithesis. Thesis is what you want to demonstrate. Antithesis is the negation of what you want to demonstrate. And synthesis uh, is uh, the new solution that you come up with. So I, because there was always this debate, uh, even person between Mello and Jason, that Jason was the thesis with the, the fun, being the founder of Envy, um, Mello doing exactly the opposite. I said, okay, these rules are going to be the synthesis. That's how the name came out. Is that, I'm curious. Uh, I mean, it sounds like maybe that was one source of some of the, you know, the, the, the heated discussions you had was, you know, Jason's philosophy versus Mello's philosophy. But from a business case on those, I mean, two different rims for a wheel set is clearly double the number of SKUs that you guys have to, you know, manage, produce, warehouse, build. Was that ever like, ah, I like the idea, but ugh, from a business standpoint, oh, it's just going to such a headache. The COO was definitely against it, <laughs> but we overpowered him. Yeah. Well, I like it. I mean, I think ultimately, right? Like, do you want to create the best product possible or do you want to appease the bean counters? Right. And I'm glad no, you, I, and honestly, you chose I mean, the product side. Depends uh, even which kind of company you are. If you're a company, there are companies that, that are driven by production efficiency. They are um, OEM or private label driven company. And in those cases, if I was managing a company like that, maybe that would have been a wrong decision to multiply the number of SKUs and the complexity. But if you are a consumer-driven company, you cannot compromise. Uh, it's like I had discussion in the past. Ah, you know what? Maybe you should not do the half size on the shoe. And some company did. Let's not do shoes. Because even myself, I'm 45 and a, 45 and a half. If you don't have the half size, I don't buy the shoes. So to me, that's the that's defining the company you are. 
I'm glad you brought shoes because that was kind of the next topic I want to talk about. Another product that's come about since you took over CEO. Um, I love your shoes. Like they are my go-to kind of gravity shoe, enduro shoe, whatever now. So I've, I've literally have three pair out in the garage, which is ridiculous because they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> they're just different colors. I'm very happy to, to hear that. Yeah. I mean, the little, just the little lace garage at the top of the tongue is so brilliant for the speed lace ones. Like it's, the simplest solution and it works so well. Um, but they're also just super comfortable. I mean, I, I'd recommend anybody at least go try a pair on in the shop if you're looking for that style of shoe. Um, the, my, my big question from a, like a technical standpoint on those though is, you know, they ship with the cleats for the, the ones that need cleats, which I think is brilliant because if somebody doesn't have your pedals, they have a pretty good excuse to go buy your pedals now. But, when you sell cleats and you recommend if I'm putting them on a shoe, like a cross country shoe with a carbon sole, right? Like you have the little metal plates to protect the the wings on your pedals from eating into a carbon sole and wearing these little grooves and stuff. But your shoes have like a nylon or, you know, some kind of composite sole, but they don't come with little plates. So like, when do I actually need those little metal plates under the cleats? Because clearly you don't think we need them for your shoes. <laughs> I mean... Th that's why or I'm should not. I? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I make one step back. Uh, we didn't develop uh, uh, the cross-country shoes yet. I was wondering. <laughs> but the, the, the reason why we started with the shoes, uh, I'm going to go wider on the answer, uh, forgive me. But you told me we have 15 minutes, so I still uh, see we have 14. So I can, uh, we can take as long as you want. <laughs> <laughs> the project of the shoe started because we were seeing a lot of athletes, professional downhillers, enduro guys coming to the office. And uh, we are looking at, the, at their shoes and trying to interact with our pedals. And a lot of them were cutting the outsole to improve the interface between the pedal and the shoe. And we were seeing they were doing with our pedals, but even with the uh, SPD pedals. So we say, okay, what is the problem there? So we start digging uh, into the issue. And what we realized is that the thread depth of the shoes, the standard uh, than the factories uh, they have is very, very big. So you can have the same model of shoe of the same brand of the same size and the thread depth can change like 10 millimeters, wow. which is a lot. Yeah. So we work harder with the factory to have a maximum uh, between two and three, let's say three millimeters uh, difference, which is very difficult because the shoe is a manual process. And we design, we design the shoe to, because th then there, there, there is the other factor. So one factor is the uh, tolerance of the factory. And the second factor is that the cleat of Crane Brothers and the cleat of SPD, they have a different uh, height. So the Crank Brothers cleat is lower than the SPD cleat. So by definition, if you make a shoe for both brands, it's not going to be optimized for one and the other one. Unless, and that's what we came, because obviously we want to incentivize people to buy our shoes and pedals. But if someone is an SPD rider since a long time, we want even that person to have the opportunity to buy our shoes. Uh, we don't want to say, okay, you need to be close. We want to make our system the best we can, but we don't want to close the people in a system. I use Apple product, but 
I was not using uh, when the office was not allowed. So to me, it's like, try to make the best system for your consumer, but then open it up if someone want to use a, a different pedal or a different shoe, whatever. So we develop the thread depth to be optimized on SPD. And then because SPD is uh, uh, higher, and then we include the uh, um, spacer, the shim, to match uh, perfectly with the Crank Brothers pedal. That's why you have uh, our shoe coming out with the shim and the cleat. We could have done only for Crank, but then would have been bad for SPD. So we optimize that. And then the other advantage is uh, if you are SPD and you don't want to change pedal, remove the cleat and the spacer. If you are Crank Brothers, you start and it's optimized. Then sooner or later, the thread depth is going to wear off. You remove the shim and you keep the cleat and it's going to be still optimized. Cool. That was uh, our obsession of millimeters to try to to improve that interface. I like it. That's really smart. It's you know, it's funny. Like that's the first time I've heard that. Nothing, there's nothing really about that in the press release when the shoes launched, all that. So it's it's funny these little details that you learn so late. You know, just from having good conversations. So thanks for sharing that. And the beautiful part, and talking about the culture, at the beginning I was pushing a lot to be to pay attention to a lot of details in the company. But now I do it just 5% of the time because the culture, if uh, the technical sales rep or the sales manager or the marketing manager see that something is not dialed on the product, they're going to fight with the product team to get it done. So almost uh, everybody became uh, an ambassador of quality within the company. That Still, we can make we can make mistake, but we have twenty people obsessed with the detail of the product that understand about the product and that are vocal, which is a they say you have higher chance to get it right when you launch it. Yeah, well, it sounds like you created the right culture there, which is you know that's like you said, like that's your job, right, is to lead in that direction. And when you have everybody kind of eating and drinking. The Kool-Aid, so to speak, in a good way, then yeah, it makes your job a lot easier, but it just means everybody's on the same page and rowing in the same direction. I like it. Um, let's, let's talk about the future. What's coming next? You mentioned maybe some cross-country shoes, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, I know you have some other shoes and pedals coming that I'm not supposed to talk about. I'll leave that to you if you want to talk about them. What's, uh, yeah, where are we headed? I mean, <laughs> that's a big it, question. Yeah, that's a big question. And I, I don't know. I don't know what is right to say. Let me maybe ask it in a, a different way. What's what are your challenges going forward? I mean, you know, right now we're we're chatting in November of 2022. There's, you know, we're coming out of kind of that like just mayhem of sell, everybody selling everything they possibly could during the early part of COVID to now everybody having massive amounts of inventory, shops included. So shops don't want to buy anything else because they they've got so much inventory. The brands have so much inventory. You know, you have a lot of major brands saying it's going to be a really tough next six months. Like, how is Crank Brothers going to deal with that? I think they're optimistic that it's going to be only six months. <laughs> I don't think I'm pessimistic, but to me, was not is not a surprise that we got to this point. I think it's human nature is uh, to become uh, overexcited in, in certain moments and uh, to become depressed on other moments. So we are going, yeah. it's literally like, I feel that way when I eat pizza, I'm like, I'm going to eat five pieces and I immediately regret it. Right. Cause yeah. I was excited exactly. and then I regret it. 
Uh, I mean, if you look everything, the stock market, uh, um, investment and so on, like you, you read a lot of articles about people from outside the industry get into the industry thinking that, uh, okay, this is the new, the new standard, the new norm. And if you know a little bit about the industry, you know that a lot of people is back at the gym. Uh, a lot of people is back on the tube and bicycle. Yeah. They can have a positive impact in the world, but the, the industry is not three times bigger than 2019, but everybody thought that they would compound 100% growth uh, a year. And then this is the new norm. And then we grow organically 8%. I, I think people that didn't know the industry, they were uh, uh, expecting this to not to happen, but if you knew the industry, uh, this was quite predictable. The problem is that now there is uh, so much supply. Everybody starts doing every product, even a company that didn't have anything really unique uh, to say, because, okay, the, the market would have absorbed anything you would do. And now when you see uh, mountain bike shoes 75% uh, off, it's going to be hard to sell it a full price or a 10% off because ultimately people, especially in inflation, inflationary, inflationary environment, they struggle and uh, they, they will look at the price even more. So it's going to be, to me, 12 to 24 months, very rough, wow. hopefully tw more 12 than 24. We have a very lean uh, structure and um, we we are cautious about what we spend, even because we want always to honor our commitment. So if we decide to make an investment, we want to make it uh, and honor that, not coming at the end of the year. I'm sorry, we don't have the money to pay it. We try to make the best product we can. Honestly, we worry about the outside landscape until a certain point because we cannot control it. So the only thing we can do is try to make the best product we can, trying to deliver the most value we can to the consumer, improving their riding experience, communicate in a very simple way to the consumer, to the rider, um, being available in different languages, in different countries, and making sure that everybody understands why Crank Brothers. And we think that we are going to get through that moment. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> yeah. And if we, if we want, at least we, we gave everything, right? Yeah. The, um, all right. So let's, let's go back to kind of the, what's, what's next then, um, other than a couple of shoes, what's the, what can we look forward to over the next say 12 months? We are working, uh, <clears throat> we are working a lot to evolve uh, in the wheel, in the wheel category and trying to bring some meaningful innovation there. Like I say, yeah, integrated, uh, storage units uh, into the bike, which is, uh, <laughs> that, that, that was a very interesting uh, part of our development because uh, uh, you want to be part and you want to improve the riding experience and in a category that is half OEM driven because some brands, they already have their own integrated solution, but uh, half is uh, aftermarket driven because you have a lot of people that they don't have a tool integrated to the bike and they want to buy aftermarket that. So that was a bit challenging, different standards. The solution that the first good solution, in my opinion, that was found was the one up when they invented the steer tube tool. We work on that. Uh, we had some patents there, uh, but then uh, we hold off on that. 
because we we think that we found solutions that are less limiting and have less drawback than the steer tube. Uh, even because now bikes, they have uh, holes under the top tubes. Um, you can have different uh, uh, solutions that were not available. Some brands, they are developing on the new bikes, uh, storage units uh, inside the frame. So we are trying to be part of that too. Cool. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys, are, are you working directly with some bike brands to create we have like some, a... We have some products that are totally independent by specific bike brands. And some product that are, uh, we are in the finish line to do something with some uh, bike brands. That's really cool. Yeah, integrated storage is definitely key. I mean, I, I keep looking for different ways to hide things on my bike because I used to be like all about my camelback, put it in my pack. And I just, you realize once you shed like a pound or two off of that, you're like, wow, that's that's actually kind of nice. <laughs> Not lugging that around on my back. Yeah, I, I've been I've been always in the, I mean, now I don't ride with a backpack, but honestly, the backpack saved my back last year. Uh, because I had a YT bike that they didn't have the water bottle because of the geometry. And uh, I hit the jump, I crashed, I hit my head, the backpack because there was not the water bottle just for that reason. And I crashed on my back and the bladder exploded, but it protected me. So nice. without that, it would have been painful. So it's like a water bag instead of an airbag. So every time, you know, it's one of those conscious mistakes. I think I should drive the backpack so I have even a sort of layer of protection. But yeah, ultimately, I, I, I don't do it because I want just to be. I like. I feel more comfortable riding uh, without anything. To it's not just the weight; it's about being loose and free, the sense of freedom. Therefore, I want to integrate those solutions into the bike. Cool. Yeah, it's funny because it's whatever you get used to, right? Like I'm so used to riding with a pack that I feel like naked without it. It's like my daughter's the same way. She rides to school every day with a backpack on. And she's like, I can't ride a bike without a backpack anymore. It feels like like I don't have my seatbelt on or something. It's weird. Like, yeah, I know exactly how you feel. But anyway, um, so I, I'm curious because I've heard from a couple of bike brands that have launched bikes this year that, uh, yeah, we're, we're calling it a 2023 model, but you know, if it weren't for COVID, this would have been a 2021 or 2022 model. Are there products that you guys are sitting on or, or getting ready to launch that had it not been for the pandemic might have come out, you know, a year or, or two years ago? Not, not really. Well, for sure, the pandemic slowed down the development. Uh, so because you couldn't go uh, to visit your, your vendors, uh, sometimes the communication was stuck. Then the vendors, uh, maybe they, maybe they had so many orders of old stuff that they didn't want to invest on new stuff. So yeah, for sure there was an impact. But uh, we let's say we try to push as hard as possible to bring a new product. Obviously, if you believe that is a great product to the finish line and not trying to slow down to sell the old stuff, but. If it's instead about the supply chain getting slower, yes, we've been affected by that. And some product, uh, they took longer that that we were expecting because of that. Awesome. Well, I've kind of exhausted my questions. Is there anything you want somebody to know about Crank Brothers that we haven't talked about? I think it was pretty exhaustive. Uh, <laughs> if we, Next time we ask uh, on social media to the consumer to submit the questions before. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, I, yeah, we might get some wild ones from there. Um, well, cool. I appreciate your time. This was fun and, you know, look forward to seeing you getting out on the trail sometime. Wonderful. And you are always welcome to come over here. 
I'd love to. I'd love to see the new facility. It's been a. It's definitely been at least one office, if not two, since I've been to your headquarters. So, and we have a wheel assembly in uh, Orange County too, in uh, San Clemente, where we assemble uh, assemble our uh, carbon wheels for North America. Hopefully, even the aluminum in the future, but for now only the carbon. So that would be. We have some machines to test wheels and uh, do prototypes on pedals. So you are welcome to come and check it out. And especially cool. in the winter, coming over here and ride is pretty yeah, nice. It's not bad. No. SoCal, right? Exactly. There's a reason why so many people love it. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned wheels. So we'll, we'll give one quick bonus question here for people who are sticking around. Um, I'm, I'm really curious what goes into a partnership with, uh, like, with the, the top level synthesis wheels. You use Industry Nine hubs that are also laser etched crank brothers. Um, what's how does that decision come about where you like rather than develop your own hubs or just kind of get something i hate to say out of a catalog in china but a lot of a lot of wheel companies do um to do like a really high-end hub and justify the extra price that that's gonna add you know the extra cost that that's gonna add like how did that come about it kind of it came about to make the best product we can for our consumer so if, uh, and I'm good friend with Clint, the owner of Industry 9, if uh, tomorrow we come up with an idea and execution to make uh, a hub that is better than their Hydra, we are gonna, I'm going to tell him in his face, we're going to do it. But as far as now, we didn't. Uh, and uh, his hub, are, uh, their hubs are great. The Hydra is an amazing uh, piece of uh, technology. So we want to use the best ingredients uh, inside our product. We believe our rims. I don't want to say self-reference, but we believe a lot in our rims. Uh, and uh, this was the best hub that we felt uh, we could put in our uh, wheels to give the best value and the best riding experience to the consumer. Therefore, we went with them. So we, I don't think as a, as a brand that is obsessed with consumer and uh, the riding experience, if you're not able to make something better than someone else and you need to buy it outside, you got to buy it outside. You cannot have a subpar or a 85% good product because you don't want to invest the extra money to put the best component. I like it. I love that answer because it's, you know, it, it, there's no ego involved in that, right? You're like, okay, we, we can't make something better than that. So let's get the, let's go with who can. And you're right. The industry nine hydro hubs are amazing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Thanks a lot. I'll let you go. It's uh, late on a Thursday. Well, late for me. You still got half a work day ahead of you. Um, Appreciate your time. And and we have a lunch ride. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Well, have fun. (laughs) Thank you. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.